Aren't you thankful that the Lord provided us this nice, brisk morning to help wake us up since we missed an hour's sleep last night? We're glad that you're here. Great to see everyone gathered together uh, for this worship. Uh, just a, a brief word about our uh, brothers and sisters in Ukraine. They are continuing to hold their own, uh, do well, walking by faith. Uh, there are fewer uh, in both of the churches in Zhitomir and Rivna because so many have fled. Uh, but uh, this morning for worship, I think I counted in those photographs uh, 13 in Zhitomir and uh, about seven in, in Rivna that met for worship, okay? In spite of the danger of the bombing and the shelling and so forth, they were meeting to worship God. And uh, what a wonderful example they are to us. So please keep praying for them. Uh, the struggle goes on probably will for some time, but they so much appreciate uh, everyone's prayers. Now you can see from your insert in your bulletin this morning that starting on April 24th, uh, we will be entering into our shepherd selection process that we do uh, every three years. And uh, so we will be undertaking that uh, here very soon. Every time we start uh, this process of appointing elders and, and shepherds, uh, most of our attention tends to center around two texts. It tends to center around 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 to 8, Titus 1, verses 5 to 10, because that's where Paul gives those lists with which we are so familiar, uh, the things that, uh, the qualities that must be possessed by those who would serve the church uh, in this capacity. Now, those two texts are important, and I hope you'll spend time looking them over, thinking about them very seriously. Uh, there are some uh, study sheets in the back for you to uh, use that um, actually will help you get into more depth. If you have questions about the meaning of some of those, uh, then I encourage you to make use of those and uh, be studying those texts. But we need to start, I think, at a much more fundamental level than that. First uh, Timothy 3, Titus 1 have their place, but they are not the beginning point. They're not the starting point. The starting point, as always, is Jesus. Starting point is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Starting point is the one who identifies himself in John chapter 10 as the good shepherd because he tells us in that 10th chapter what makes a shepherd good. And I don't know of a more important thing for us to know than that. What makes a shepherd good? What are the qualities, the characteristics of a good shepherd? Now, in John 10, he's talking about himself but what he says is applicable to shepherds today because you go to 1 Peter 5 that you heard read at the beginning of the service and Peter addresses the elders and calls them also shepherds in the church and he talks about Jesus as the chief shepherd. And he says when the chief shepherd is manifested. So by calling him the chief shepherd, he's indicating that elders in the church are kind of under shepherds. He doesn't use that term, but that's what's implied that elders today are under shepherds, serving as shepherds on behalf of Jesus. So what makes a shepherd good in John 10 is not only applicable to Jesus, it's applicable to shepherds today. And that makes John 10 take on even greater importance. So I want us to start with a, a brief overview of John 10 verses 1 through uh, 21. Now this comes just after the episode in John 9 of the man who had been born blind. You remember that story? It's one of the more vivid ones, uh, one of my favorites. 
uh, to be found in all the Gospels, this man who had been born blind. Uh, they enter a town, and Jesus and his disciples see this man, and the disciples ask, Lord, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? That was the kind of theological question that folks talked about a lot in that, that day and time. Somebody must have sinned in order for him to be born. This way. Was, it, was it his parents or was it himself? Jesus said, that's not even the question. That's not even the issue. He said, but that the glory of God might be seen in him. He spits on the ground, makes some mud out of the spittle, puts it on the man's eyes and tells him to go and wash. And he goes and washes his eye, the mud off of his eyes. And when he does, he can see. And he comes back and he is rejoicing. Now, he was born blind. And so all of these people, we find out later, he's, he's uh, 40 years old. And all these people have known him all of his life, and they've never known him as someone who can see. And so they begin to discuss, is that the same man or is it not? And some say, well, no, it's not him. It looks like him, but it's not him because this man can see. And so they get into this discussion. They bring him to the Pharisees, and that's where it always gets fun, isn't it, in the Bible? <clears throat> bring him to the Pharisees, and then you're going to see the fireworks. Well, they bring him to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees start investigating this. And it turns out that Jesus had done this on the Sabbath day. And that, according to one of their rules, was an absolute no-no. And so they have to investigate this, and they start asking the man, tell us about who did this. How did he do it? Why did it? When did he do it? All of these other kinds of things. And the man says, all I know is I was blind, and he put mud on my eyes, and when I washed it off, I could see. Why isn't that enough for you? Well, it's not enough for him, for them. They bring in the man's parents. Tell us, is this your son? Was he born blind? How is it that he now sees? Well, the parents say, that's our son. He was born blind. How he now sees, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. They're kind of throwing him under the bus, you see, because the Pharisees had decreed that anybody who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be kicked out of the synagogue. And they don't want that to happen to them, so they just kind of throw their son under the bus and say, you know, well, you go talk to him. He can answer for himself. So they bring him back in, and they ask him again. And they tell him, give glory to God. Tell us what really happened here. And he starts sort of teasing them. Uh, and he says, well, this is amazing. You all are the Pharisees. You're the experts, and yet you don't know. And he said, all I know is that I was blind. This man came along, put the mud on my eyes. I washed the mud off, and now I can see. He said, are you asking me this because you want to become his disciples? Well, that went over. And they said, you were born in utter sin. Would you lecture us? And they kicked him out of the synagogue. That's where John 10 begins. Because in John 10, Jesus starts talking about those who are robbers who try to climb into the sheepfold rather than coming in by the door. And notice there is no change of scene between the end of John 9 and the beginning of John 10. He's still talking to the same people. It's still the same conversation. And he's saying this for the benefit of the Pharisees because they are the thieves and the robbers who are trying to climb in by the back door. They are the thieves and the robbers who have not cared for this man, who have not taken care of him, uh, who are only upset because he was healed on the Sabbath. They didn't offer him any comfort. They didn't offer him any support. As far as they were concerned, he was just a problem. 
He's an issue that's got to be resolved, and that's all they know about it. And it's to them that Jesus refers when he talks about the thieves and the robbers who climb in the sheepfold rather than coming in through the door. They are the strangers whose voices the sheep will not listen to. They will not follow them because they don't know the voice of strangers. Now, by contrast, he says, the shepherd enters by the door, and he calls the sheep, and the sheep follow him. And then Jesus says in verses 7 and verse 9, I am the door. I'm the way into the sheepfold. In other words, if you're going to get into that sheepfold, you come in by me. Later in John 14, verse 6, he's going to say, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Now he says, I am the door of the sheepfold. He's the way in. And then in verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Now I want you to notice something in verse 11. Jesus does not say, I am a good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. What's he talking about? The background of this is found in Ezekiel chapter 34, where God declares that his sheep, Israel, who have been scattered among the nations, will be regathered, and they will be regathered under one good shepherd. And God says, I myself will be their shepherd. I myself will be their shepherd. But for now, he has Ezekiel prophesy uh, until that day when he becomes their good shepherd about the unfaithful shepherds of Egypt, uh, of Israel. The religious leaders, the religious leaders who should have been looking out for the people, but who weren't. Here's what he says to them. He says, rather than feeding the sheep, they were feeding themselves. He says, the weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. Ezekiel 34 and verse 4. That's how they had tried to lead the people of Israel. And that's who Jesus is referring to. It's these false shepherds of Israel, these false shepherds now in the person of the Pharisees in John 9 who have failed this man in every way. They have not bound him up. They have not helped him. They haven't even been delighted for him when his sight was restored. And so God promises to Israel a good shepherd who will take care of the sheep. And Jesus says in John 10, I am that good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. He's not only fulfilling a prophecy, he's making a claim to deity. Because God has said in Ezekiel 34, I myself will shepherd my people Israel. And now Jesus says, I'm that shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. That's what's going on in John chapter 10. I want us this morning to focus our attention on the first six verses. We're going to spend three Sundays in John 10, this morning just on verses 1 to 6, because verses 1 to 6 contain what I'll describe as the shepherd's qualifications, all right? Now, no one text or no two texts gives us all the qualifications of shepherds or elders, 
the ones in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, as I said, are important, but there's some very basic things that are not even mentioned there. And they are mentioned here in John 10. So let's start with that. First of all, Jesus says a good shepherd is good because he knows his sheep. He knows the sheep. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name. Shepherds in ancient times didn't just have a bunch of sheep. You know, if I were doing it, that's the way it looked like to me. That's just a bunch of sheep out there and I'm responsible for them. But shepherds in ancient time had more of a relationship with their sheep. They actually named them. If they had 10, they named all 10. If they had 100, they named all 100. So that way they knew each one of those sheep, not only by name, but they knew the weaknesses and the needs of each sheep. They knew which one was lame, and they knew which one was a, a little harder to deal with. They knew which one's personality they kind of had to uh, you know, keep in line. Uh, they knew which ones tended to get sick, and they could tell when they were sick because they knew their sheep. They had a relationship with their sheep. Now, that means that they would know immediately if one of them were missing. They would know immediately if one of them was not there who was supposed to be there. They would know the weaknesses. They would know the needs of, of each. I want you to notice that the word know occurs six times from verse 1 to verse 18. Knowing is so important in this text. He says that the good shepherd knows his sheep by name. And then he says, the sheep know his voice. He says, they won't follow a stranger because they do not know the voice of strangers. And then he says in verse 14, I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. Knowing is so important. Knowing relationship is so important. This isn't about running an organization. This is about relating to people as individuals. Knowing the sheep is not even listed in 1 Timothy 3 or Titus 1. Neither one of those says anything about knowing the sheep. But look how important that is and why it's obviously necessary. Otherwise, how is a shepherd going to know when one of the sheep is missing who doesn't know the sheep? How is he going to know who needs to be sought and, and brought back? How does he know who's hurting and needs to be bound up? How does he know who is struggling and needs help making it through life if he doesn't know the sheep? You see, in John 10, you're a long way from the mentality of a board of directors. This board of directors mentality has unfortunately infected a lot of churches uh, in our time where Elders or shepherds are really seen as just kind of a group of decision makers. They're just the board, and they're making decisions for an organization. We really need to get away from that whole mentality of seeing our elders as decision makers. You know, for years, decades, I guess generations, we've heard prayers offered for the elders that they'll, you'll bless them in making their decisions. That's not their primary role. It just isn't their primary role. Their primary role is tending to the sheep. There are some decisions that have to be made along the way. But the decisions are not the goal. The decisions are not the focal point. Decision-making is not what they're about. They're not a board of directors leading an organization, and their role is supposed to be individual-oriented and not organizationally-oriented. There's no way to carry out the responsibilities of a true shepherd if you don't know the sheep, if you don't know the sheep. You can lead an organization if you don't know the sheep, but you can't be a shepherd if you don't know the sheep. 
The second qualification is that a good shepherd has the trust of the sheep. The, the sheep trust the shepherd. Shepherds in Jesus' day, the ones that he would have been familiar with, would go into a fold. A sheepfold wouldn't contain just one flock. It would contain numerous flocks, the flocks of numerous shepherds. And so a shepherd would go into the fold and he would call out. And the, the sheep would recognize his voice and then he would just lead them out through the door of the sheepfold and lead them out to pasture. His sheep would go out and follow him because they knew his voice. If that wasn't their shepherd, they wouldn't follow him. The rest of them would stay behind. That's kind of amazing, isn't it? But that's the way that it worked in that day and time. And that's how they knew to call their sheep. They recognized that voice. It was a known voice. It was a trusted voice. It was the voice of one who cared for them. It was the voice of one who protected them. It was the voice of one who led them to the pastures that they needed. A stranger they will not follow, Jesus said. But they will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. They do not know the voice of strangers. When a church asks a man to serve as a shepherd, they make an, put an enormous amount of trust in him. They're trusting that he will not lead them astray. They're trusting that he will protect them from the wolves and the false teachers that Scripture warns them about. They trust him that he will be there for them in their time of need. They trust him that he will put his needs above, their needs above his own. They trust him that he will act with integrity so that he can represent the church before the world in a positive way, that he will be, act with integrity in every situation. If they can't have that kind of confidence, then that man can't be a shepherd because they will not follow one they do not trust. He may wear the title, but without the element of trust, he cannot be effective as a shepherd. And then the third qualification Jesus points out is that good shepherds lead by example. A good shepherd leads by example. Look at verse 4. He says, when he has brought them out, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him. Where are the sheep going to go? They're going to go wherever the shepherd leads them. They're going to follow him. That's what's supposed to happen. And he's supposed to lead them in the places that they need to go. I've never dealt a lot with sheep. I grew up in cow country. And I never dealt a lot with cows either, okay? <laughs> but I've never dealt a lot with sheep, but I've, I've heard enough people talk about it who have. And one thing, that, one thing I know about sheep is you can't drive them. You can't drive them. You have to lead them. You have to get out in front of them and show them where you want them to go. You have to lead them where you desire them to go. You cannot drive sheep. If you try <clears throat> to drive them, if you try to drive them, you're just going to scatter them. They'll just go off in all directions, and they'll scatter, and they'll run. And one of the causes of an awful lot of controversies and messes in churches is when shepherds try to drive sheep. They try to push them where they want them to go instead of leading them where they need to go. 
And there's a big difference between leading and driving. And what, what stands behind that tendency to drive is usually an authoritarian attitude, an authoritarian spirit. It's a sure sign of misunderstanding the role of shepherd when shepherds make a constant appeal to their authorities, to their authority. If they're trying to say, you're supposed to follow me because I say so. No. What did Paul say in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 12? He says, to submit to those who are over you in the Lord and esteem them very highly in love because of their work, because of what they do, because they've earned your trust. They're leading you. And when they're leading you, then you trust them and you follow them. They're not trying to drive you. They're not trying to push you. That's what the 23rd Psalm says, isn't it? He leads me beside still waters. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Shepherds in the church today have to be and do what they want the church to be and do. They have to set the example and lead the way. They can't just say, and they can't try to drive. They have to set the example. Now, that's where those lists in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus 1 become really important because they help us understand what we are to be and which way we are to go. So the qualifications of those shepherds are the way they're supposed to lead us. Because if you think about it, when you read 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, most of what's listed there is not, <clears throat> excuse me, not unique to shepherds. Not at all. It's what all Christians ought to be, isn't it? There are a few qualifications there about family and about the responsibility of teaching that don't apply to everybody, but most of it applies to everybody. Most of it is what every one of us ought to be. He says, above reproach. Shouldn't all of us be above reproach? Sober-minded? Self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, not arrogant, not quick-tempered, a lover of good, upright, holy, disciplined, holding firm to the sure word is taught. That's what all of us ought to be. That's what being a Christian ought to look like. And that's why Paul says that's the qualification for these elders, for these shepherds, so they can lead the church to be like that. Let me give you a couple of questions to ask yourself before you recommend someone to serve in the role of shepherd or before you approve someone to do so. Number one, ask this question. If the whole church were to be like that man, would it be a better church or would it not? If the whole church were like that one person, would it be a better church? Second question is, is this man someone you could point out to your children and say, follow him, follow his example, and you'll be all right? If you can't answer yes to those questions, you better think twice before you recommend somebody to be a shepherd. I know when we talk about all this, people tend to respond this way. Well, that's a heavy responsibility. That's a heavy responsibility that you're asking somebody to bear. And the answer is yes, it is. It is a heavy responsibility to lead the body of Christ for which Jesus died. But we cannot soften the requirements just in order to get people to do it. That happens sometimes. We think, well, somebody's not qualified in this area, but we'll overlook that. We'll overlook that. 
because we, we need somebody to be in that role. It's not what Scripture says. You know what Paul's word is in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1? Must. An elder must be. He must be this way. And must means the same thing in Greek that it means in English. It's a requirement because it is such a heavy responsibility. Elders or shepherds are not just the best men in the church. That's the way it's approached sometimes. And we think, well, okay, these are, these are who I think are the two, three, four, whatever, best people in the church, best men in the church, and so we'll appoint them. Whether they meet all those requirements or not, that's a mistake. Scripture says must meet the requirements. That's, that's the difference uh, that we need to pay careful attention to. Shepherding the flock for which Jesus gave his life is a heavy thing. It is an enormous responsibility and how we should appreciate those who undertake it. But we're not talking here about perfection because if we were, then nobody would be qualified. But we are talking about qualification and that's different. And the qualifications must, Paul says, be met. We cannot ignore Paul's words in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. We can't ignore what Jesus says in John 10 that an elder ought to be. We have to take those things seriously. I want to ask you in the next five weeks before we begin this process on April 24th, I want to ask you to be doing two things during those weeks. Number one, I want to ask you to, to study and thoroughly acquaint yourself with what Scripture says about elders or shepherds, why they're needed, what the requirements are, what they're supposed to do. Uh, you'll find at the bottom of your hand uh, or your insert in your bulletin uh, a set of scriptures there. I hope you'll become so familiar with those over the next five weeks that when somebody just makes reference to one of those, you'll know exactly what that scripture's about. We need to know what God's word says about this. The second thing I want to encourage you to do in the next five weeks is to pray. Pray diligently. Ask God's guidance on the whole church. Ask God's blessing on those who may undertake this responsibility of being shepherds of the church. Pray for yourself as you consider who should serve the Glen Allen Church as shepherds. Pray for those who will or may be selected. And pray that this will be the result of this will be that the Glen Allen Church will have exactly what God wants us to have as far as leadership goes. So we need to study and we need to pray because we need God's help. Let's bow and pray right now, please. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you, Father, for this church. We thank you for the body of Christ throughout the world. We're thankful, Father, for this particular family of which we're privileged to be a part. And we thank you, Father, that you allow us to serve you in the ways that you do. And Father, we know our needs, and we know that we need to be close to you and close to your word. And Father, we know that we need leaders who will guide us in the ways that we need to go. We ask for your blessings as we enter into this process of selecting those leaders, that you would help us, give us wisdom, help us to stay close to your word, help us to think seriously about these things, help us to be the people that you've called us to be individually that we might be the church that you've called us to be. Guide us and bless us, Father, that we will bring glory to you in all that we do, all that we say, all that we are. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
This morning, we're going to sing this invitation hymn as we always do. And if you are ready to follow Christ today, you're ready to confess your faith in him and be baptized in him, this is your opportunity to come and tell us. But it's not the only one. You can come and tell us anytime. But if right now you know that's what you want to do and need to do, we want to encourage you to come. So let's stand together and sing.